Hello, my name is Ben Potter, and uh, yeah, um, here to serve you this morning with God's word, and I'm excited, I'm honored, I'm thankful for you guys. It's just as a, I was saying first service, this is a really cool perspective. Uh, you get to kind of see all the faces that make up this church, and I don't know, it's unique, and so I, I'm, a, I'm blessed to be here, and I hope that I can be a blessing to you this morning. Um, yeah, I've been serving in the, the youth for about three years now, and um, yeah, it's been great and refining, and um, I recently got married, a sweet little wife right here, um, so we got married in March, and so thank God for that. Um, she has a, been a, definitely an influence on my mustache, and happy and half Mexican, and uh, so it's, it's great. I feel like I'm part of a new community through that, you know. I show up to the park, and I'm like, what's up? Let's go. I keep seeing the soccer game, and one of these days, I'm going to do it. And uh, I'm excited to be embraced by that. So anyway, I'm just rambling now. Um, let me pray for us and for me, and, and uh, we'll get into this. Dear God, thank you for this honor that you've given me to, to open your word this morning. And God, we want to exalt Christ with our words and our hearts and our, our thoughts this morning. And so God, help me to do that well. Help me to lead our church to the cross, to Jesus, and, and Lord, I pray that where, where faith is lacking, God, you would increase in us. And God, I pray that we would be humbled and refined by your word this morning. So, Father, send your spirit to work on us, God, because we know that none of these words have any kind of power without the Holy Spirit affecting us, God. So just do a work with us. God, help me with the little that I have. I'm an inadequate man, a sinner. God, I pray you would use me for your glory. And I pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be beginning in Hebrews chapter eleven, and then from there we're going to go to Genesis, uh, and we're going to be looking at a a guy named Jacob. We're going to spend our, most of our time looking at this dude, and uh, yeah. So go ahead and go to Hebrews eleven. We're going to start in this text. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles right back on the wall over there, and uh, if you don't if you don't have one, you can just keep that one. And uh, we'd love for you to take it home. So, Hebrews 11, I'm starting at verse 20. Here we go. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So, this whole text in, in uh, Hebrews is, is really sweet and unique in a, in a special way. Because when, when Paul talks about this, this thing of faith, he talks a lot about the doctrine of faith. Teaching us where it comes from, what it is, being a gift of God. Being what, what uh, opens our eyes to seeing the revelation of God. It's something that he says, but, you know, by faith we're justified. In, in, you know, by faith in Christ. And so it's, it, we've got to see with Hebrews, it's interesting, is Hebrews 11 kind of gives us more of how does faith actually play out in people's life? How does it affect us to live differently, to live as God called us to live? Um, and so what, I want to read a text out of, I'm gonna, you can go there if you'd like. I want to read a text out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, listen to what Paul has to say here to, to the Corinth people. It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but of people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, 
and I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were, you were not ready for it. For even now you are not ready. You are still of the flesh. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not uh, of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Well, when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you being merely human? What then is Apollos? What's Paul? For servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So I wanted to, to kind of launch off this text and kind of show, there's something interesting here that's going down with Paul saying to his folks in Corinth, he's saying, you know, there's a problem, there's an, there's an immaturity you have in your walk. That's great that you love good Bible teaching, that you're, you know, you're involved in your church, that's great. But there's something here, you're acting like human beings. It's like, oh really? Acting like humans? Oh sorry Paul, didn't mean to do that. But what Paul's pointing out here is you're, there, there's a humanity where you're, you're so about a person and putting your faith in a person rather than realizing that that person has just been assigned. That person has just received something to lead you. So the immaturity, the, the, uh, the human nature for us is to exalt a human figure, right? Like, wow, look at what that guy has done. Look what that person has accomplished. Look at their faithfulness. Because faithfulness is something that's interesting. We, we're all faithful in different ways. We all will spend our, our faithfulness maybe uh, being devoted to a TV show, okay? 24, from right, me right now. I'm a little late, but I'm getting into it. Uh, we'll show our, our faithfulness I mean, I think of my dad. He is faithful to record the Indy 500 every year on VCR tape. It's a, it's a rectangle square made of plastic and has film inside of it. Do you guys, high schoolers, ever heard of that? Maybe. Okay. But he, my dad, he's faithful every year. I'm going to record it. I'm going to watch it. And then we got this from the 70s, I think, Indy 500. I mean, you can think of many ways that you guys have been faithful. You're faithful to check your Facebook. You're faithful to keep up your appearance. You're faithful to your family, to your job. Not in any way or anything's bad, but it's interesting the faithfulness that's mentioned by Paul and by the writer of Hebrews is that this is a faithfulness that's received. It's a faith that's a gift. It's so, as we look in, we're going to look into these guys, Jacob and Joseph. We look at these guys' lives. Be very careful that you don't just see them as a biblical hero. So you just see them as like, wow, look at, look at Jacob. God thought of him so much to point him out. And to show what he's done and how, how diligent he was. Our faith as Christians is not self-made ambition. We, we have been given something from God. And we're stewards of it. Okay? And so I want to get into this guy's life. And uh, so uh, the reason we're going to stick with Jacob. This is why I want to really spend some time with this guy. It's interesting. Uh, a, a scholar named Arthur Pink. Um, I think he's dead now. Uh, anyway, he has a, a lot of really interesting things he wrote, and, and when he talks about these, these guys in Genesis, he talks about them in a way that every character, in a sense, plays a role as a type of the father, a type of the son, and a type of the believer. So Abraham, in a lot of ways, plays this role as he's a type of, of a picture of the heavenly father, begetting his only son, sending his only son to, uh, up to the altar, carrying him. The son Isaac, in a lot of ways, as he carries the wood on his back, Brian talked about this last week. He's heading up. You know, in a lot of ways, this guy, he, he, he's, a, he's a type of Jesus. He gives us a small glimpse of something that's going to come, a foreshadow. So Jacob, as the text in Hebrews said, Jacob was the recipient of a blessing from his father Isaac. In the same way, us as believers, we, are, we have received something from Christ, a blessing. So I want to look, look at this blessing. I want to ask, you know, 
how was Jacob's life blessed? And kind of, we're going to run through a bunch of texts here in Genesis. I'm going to start, I believe, in Genesis 25. So if you want to go there and just, we're going to, we're going to work through this here. Yeah, Genesis 25, I'm starting at verse 24. So, Jacob had a wife, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac had a wife. They had two sons. And uh, these boys' names were Esau and Jacob, and they were twins. So we're going to read about these guys right here. It says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, and afterward his brother came out with his hands holding Esau's heel. So the name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when he bore them. This is kind of a fun text. From the get-go here, we have this, this story about these two boys, one named Esau, one named Jacob. Esau comes out of the womb, hairy and red. Does this seem funny? We've got to wake up here. I know it's second service. You've got this hairy red baby coming out of the womb. That's just weird. If you're a mother here, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I just can't imagine seeing like, oh my gosh, I have red hairy baby. I have an Ewok. Or, you know, it's like, what, what is this? And, and then you got Jacob coming out of, out of the womb, holding this guy's heel. They're wrestling in the womb, coming out. And then this is what it says. And it, it, it kind of tells us a little bit about how the parents viewed these two boys. Check this out. This is verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a school, skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in his tents. Isaac loved Esau. And he ate his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So these, these dudes are very different from each other, okay? We got Esau, the red, hairy boy who loves to hunt squirrels, drives an F-150 probably with a gun rack. I'm just trying to picture this kid. You know, he's the dude just like, you know, balling across the street, the guns in the car, shooting the squirrels out the window. He's a hunter that's just, he's a wild man. Where little Jacob, very different. This guy is a dude... He's, he's living in a tent with his mom. Maybe he's in a sewing. <laughs> he's just the quiet one, you know. Mom, read me another story. And, and so these two boys are just totally different from different ends of the spectrum. And, and it's, it's something here where the dad, he loves, his, he loves his boy Esau. Firstborn, tough kid. I love him. Where the mom, he's all about, all about the mama's boy. Okay? We've got we've to know this coming into the story. And then, we, some time goes by, in, Ge- in Genesis chapter 27, it tells us this. As, as Isaac has come to the end of his days. He's old, and he's just, he, he can't see anymore, and he's just come to the end of his time. And he's like saying to himself, he's like, I, I need to bless my son. I'm going to bless my favorite son, Esau, and give him the blessing. So, I'm going to read these first uh, 12 verses or so. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim... So he could not see, he called, his, called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons and your quiver and your bow, and go out from the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went into the field uh, to hunt game and bring it to Re- Bring it. Uh, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the, before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock 
and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from delicious food for your father such as he loves. So what goes down here is, is these, this, this, these boys, you know, as, as they're 40 years old at this point in their lives, the text tells us. They're 40 years old, and, and Isaac is just about done. He can't see, seeing, like, I want to bless my favorite. I want to give him the inheritance of everything that I own. And so what he did, he tells his son, go out, shoot, shoot some squirrels for me and cook it up, whatever you do, and bring it back, and, and, and I'm, give me that food, and I'll bless you with the inheritance. And so mom, mom hears this around the corner and says, no, 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 I want, I want my son to receive this blessing now, you've got to know this, too. Before we finish this story, the first story mentioned to us after these boys uh, come out of the womb, and it talks about the favoritism, is that it mentions a story about, about uh, Esau when he was tired and hungry one day. He came home and saw his brother making stew. He said, give me some stew, and I'll, and I'll sell you my birthright. I'll give you my inheritance. So right then and there, Jacob tricks his brother, steals this. So here we are in this story. Once again, Jacob is still craving this blessing, this blessing. He, want, he wants to take what, steal from his brother and steal from his father. Now, this is something I want us to consider with this text. Jacob is taking this command, as the text tells us, from his mom at the age of 40. Just, just something wrong here. He's, he's 40 years old. That's like Brian listening to his mom. He's Brian's 40, right, Brian? Yeah. I mean... He's listening to his mom. What, what do you want me to do, mom? Oh, okay. His mom's saying, I want you to lie to your dad, and, and I want you to steal this from your brother, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to receive what you've always wanted. So, guys, I, I think I really want us, especially the men right now, myself included, I want us to ask, what does it look like for us as men to honor those who are in authority above us, our parents, a teacher, a boss, but yet live in a way that is honoring to God and taking the command that they give us and lining that up to God's word and what God has called us to do with our life. Because I feel like us as men are in a confusing time. We're in a time when it's, it's almost it's hard to identify what is actually a man of God. What is it, when do we actually become men? Is it when we're 18? When we're 21? 25? When we actually go to college, get a real job? When we come back from grad school? I mean, when does it actually become, I mean, Time Magazine wrote an interesting article about this issue, is that we're just in this time right now where our society doesn't know what adulthood means, that we're confused. And I believe this isn't a new problem. This text right here is showing me this 40-year-old man is having a hard time making his own decision. He's having a hard time actually standing up for himself and saying, this is what I know is right. And I think I just want us to consider what does this look like for us as men and women of God to take, take this advice that we receive and make our own decisions, to come into the maturity that we've been called to, to stand in. Uh, and so as the story goes down, he deceives his dad. He puts on a sheepskin to have rough skin like his hairy brother. And uh, his dad feels it. And like, you sound like Jacob, but you smell and feel like Esau. Okay, I'm going to bless you. And then just as Esau is coming through the door to, to give his father the game, Jacob is going out. They pass ways. And his dad, and Jacob, Esau comes to his dad and says, here's, here's, the, here's the food I prepared for you. Bless me, father. And his dad, I just did. What are you talking about? And so it's right away Esau's hitting him. Oh, my gosh. My brother 
has stolen from me. He's lied to me and deceived me. And right then and there, he's done hunting animals, and he's out to hunt his brother, okay? And so this, this text, you can imagine, there's a lot of heat and tension between these two brothers. This is probably the third instance that we know about in the text. Came out of the womb, holding his brother's heel, fighting against him, stole his, his uh, birthright to a cup of soup, and then now has stolen this blessing from his father and from his brother. And so Jacob's mom says, well, you better get out of here. This is a dangerous place for you to live. Why don't you go and live with Uncle Laban? So he heads out to the land of Uncle Laban. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 29, comes into this area, and the angel of the Lord actually speaks to him on his way. You want to look at this. This is actually, go back one chapter. Genesis 28. Let me see here. Yeah, verse 15. This is what the angel of the Lord meets, meets Jacob while he's running from his brother. He says this to him. Behold, I am with you, and I'll keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is interesting. The angel of the Lord shows up just to make this. He says some more stuff, reminding him of his covenant with Abraham. But he says this. He says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to face your brother Esau. I'll promise you that. So we see that Jacob, he's just, he's in a place where he's owning his life. He's saying, this is what I want. This is what's safe for me. I'm going to run. I'm going to go and live with Uncle Laban. And, and as he goes into this, this place, this new land he's living in, he sees Laban's daughters, Rachel. And he says, wow, I like her. I think I want to marry her. Goes to Uncle Laban. I want to marry your daughter. I think she's pretty. And uh, what do I have to do? So Uncle Laban says, well, work for me seven years, and you can marry my daughter. So, the time goes by, seven years, it says in the text, or just like a moment, and, uh, and, and the wedding finally is there. And here it is. Let's pick this up in Genesis 29, uh, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I might go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave the female servant Zippah and daughter Leah to be her servant. Uh, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? So this is interesting. <laughs> behold, it was Leah. He worked seven years to live, and, and, and live with Laban and, and work hard to earn this wife. And then in the morning after the wedding feast, he wakes up, and he's like, OMG, I slept with the wrong woman. Uh, this is really awkward and bad. And he goes right to Laban, you've deceived me. So all of a sudden, we see this dude is reaping what he sowed, right? He's, he's been a deceiver to his, to his own family, leaving them to his dad, his brother, and now his uncle is actually deceiving him. So this, this, I, this, this thing, this theme of deception and lying and faking it, it's just, just thick in this text. So I'm sure as you're sitting here listening about this story, you're like, geez, this is not very encouraging. I'm not like feeling very uplifted this morning by church, right? You're like, I'm just seeing a deception and seeing this, you know, people are sleeping with the wrong people and what is going on right here? This is the people that God wanted to highlight in Hebrews? It, it, just a note. Think about this. This is proof for me that this is not something man came up with. These stories are just human experiences. We can think of deceptions in our own lives, times when we've been lied to and deceived and tricked by our family members, right? And it, 
as we read this, we can see, man, not a lot has changed from back in this day in Genesis to our day right now. Not a lot has changed. And so with this text here, check this out. He works another seven years, actually earns the wife that he really wanted, Rachel. And at this point in the text, we, uh, in chapter uh, 30, Jacob has two wives, Leah and Rachel, and 12 sons down the road. And this is another point. You're like, gosh, is this, is this I mean, is the Bible legit? I mean, got multiple wives. I thought this was God's word. And just because, guys, we see, what we see in God's word is not perfect people, but we see sin going down, and we see how God interacts with that sin. I mean, it's easy to, to chuckle at this. And you're like, goodness, two wives, really? Like, is, does that mean I can go out and have two wives now? The Bible said so. Someone pulled that card, you know? I've never heard that one yet, but you never know. And, but the funny thing is we read texts like this and like, that's absurd. I can't imagine that happening in my own life. The, but the reality is, is that though we may be married to one person or dating one person, and a lot of times in, in our life that we'll find our minds all of a sudden married to someone else or married to someone who doesn't exist or married to an idea. And so, guys, if we, if we look at this, as silly as it might seem for us to, to have two wives, consider, is your heart, is your heart for someone else? And I'm not, I'm not just saying this to, to be a, a, a scolas and to be something that's like, we need to get right. But to say, man, we, we're sinners, and we need to be checking our hearts. These are things that, that I wrestle with, things that we all wrestle with, of times we're finding our heart longing after something else instead of forgetting what God has given us. Um, and so Jacob, at this point in his life, he's, he has two wives. He's fought his way through everything, saying, this is what I want. This is what I desire. If I can't have the wife I want, I'm going to fight for it and I'll take two. If I can't have the blessing I want, I'll deceive and I'll take it myself. It's like if I can't be the most loved, then I'll do whatever it takes to make me the winner. So Jacob at this point in his life, he's a self-made man. He's done everything to, to make himself what he is at this point. And so in Genesis chapter 30, it goes down. We see Jacob is, is realizing, dude, it's not good for me to be in this town my goat business with Uncle Laban's not going well. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back. And then in 31, God comes to him again and says, I want you to go back to the land you came from. I want you to leave Laban. I want you to head back. So he's, he obeys. He said, okay, it's probably better for my family anyway. I'm not making a lot of money here. I'm going to take everyone, pick up, and go. And so he heads out on this long journey all the way back to the land where his brother lives. Pick it up with me in Genesis chapter 32. This right here, this chapter is the moment of, of trans, transformation in Jacob's life. I love this chapter. This chapter is amazing because all of a sudden, Jacob receives something he never, ever expected. So let's just read this together. Starting at verse uh, 22. The, night, uh, the same night, he arose and took his two wives and two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that they had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So, this is great. Totally unexpected way 
to be blessed. He's getting ready to go to bed. And at this point in the story, he's sent He's even sent all his other servants ahead of him to meet Esau with gifts. And he's prayed a great prayer, seeking the Lord before the, one of the biggest days of his life to go back to see his brother. And then he goes to bed. And as he's getting ready to go to sleep, he's alone. And the next verse says, and he wrestled all night long. <laughs> like, out of nowhere, this dude, this old man Jacob, gets jumped. And he gets just jumped not only by just any other man, but it says this, this man was the Lord. He wrestles with the Lord himself all night long. I just really hope that, I say this often to our, our students, I really hope in heaven there's just a history channel and we can just watch all these events go down over and over again and just see this wrestling match go down in like 58,000p. It's going to be beautiful. And, I mean, I, I love a good fight, good wrestling matches. fun to watch. That's all legal. And uh, I don't do that at youth group, promise. But what's, I just hope that one day we can see Jesus wrestling with this man. But this is interesting. It's like, what, is, what does this have to do? This, this text, all of a sudden we see Jesus showing up in this guy's life, wrestling him. This wrestling match went all night. All night, Jesus is going. And as the day, the sun is starting to break, all of a sudden, something changes in this guy's life. Something changes where he all of a sudden is not wrestling for his independence, but he's wrestling out of dependence. He's wrestling because he, just, he realizes at this point, he has, Jesus has something that he needs. He says, he, Jesus says, let me go. He says, no, I won't let you go until you bless me. This is crazy. All of a sudden, Jacob is saying, there's something I need from you, Jesus. And we could think back, like, look at the blessing he received from his, his father that he stole, right? Or he stole the birthright from his brother, you know, selling him some stew in exchange. We can think of all the ways that Jacob has fought for his own life, even changing the place where he lives in order to bless himself. But all of a sudden, Jesus realized there's something in this dude that he needs that only can come from Christ, that only can come from God himself. And so how does he bless him? This is great. He just takes his finger and touches his hip and bam, throws his hip out of joint. So this is so unexpected. So unexpected. I, mean, I see this text. You can see that this isn't just a fair match. That at any point, Jesus himself could crush this guy. But what happens here is we see that the part of the blessing that he received was to be afflicted. I mean, I look at the comparison here between these, and it makes me think of this little dude in our church named Jonah. Anybody know Jonah? He's just a little guy. He's, he calls himself Jodah, okay? Because he's obsessed with Star Wars. And so he runs around the church with these little lifesavers, plastic, they're not real ones, plastic ones. And, and he'll, he'll run around and he'll be like, here, Ben, you throw it to me. He's like, let's go. And I'm just looking at the call, this poor little boy. I could wreck him up at any moment. But I'm just going to go with it. And I'll play, we'll play a little lifesaver, you know. And I'll pretend like I just get killed. And, oh, Jonah, have mercy on me. You know, and it's just, he just feels so victorious, you know. But I, mean, I look at this dude, I'm like, if we were really going at it, I mean, at any moment, I could just crap, and this thing's over, right? At any moment. I'm like, Jonah, if you even knew my power, I mean, then I consider the power of Howie, his father, the big man, and uh, construction guy, yeah, we wouldn't take much. But I think of the comparison here, I think in a lot of ways, that's what it is with Jesus wrestling with this man. At any moment, Jesus could crush Jacob for the sin in his life. He is in the presence 
of the Lord. But the way what Jesus sees it is, it's like, you need something from me. Jesus pursues him when he's alone. He pursues him when he's alone. And he wrestled with him all night long. And Jacob, all of a sudden, through this pain and through the affliction that he received, said, there's something I need. Jesus, bless me. So we could think, like, what would be, in our, in our idea, what would be the blessing that we could think of? What does Jacob really need? Okay, he needs a new attitude. Maybe he needs a different family. Or Think of all the physical things around him that need to change. He needs to have peace with his brother. But the blessing that Jesus knew this man needed was not anything physical. But he needed a new identity. He needed his name to be changed. Okay? So he says, what's your name? And I don't believe it. it's, it's a matter of Jesus. Like, oh, I forgot to introduce myself. Well, what was your name again? What was your name? And, and it's like, it's not that at all. But it's a, it's a matter of Jesus saying, I need you, Jacob, to know what your name is. To know who, what you've been standing behind. The name Jacob uh, in, the, in the Hebrew means a deceiver, a trickster, a liar. In other words, Jacob has lived up to his name his whole life. He's been a fake. He's been living for himself. Been the master of his own life, okay? But so at this moment here, it's almost like Jesus holding up this mirror and saying, this is who you are. You're a fake you're not legit. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. You've done everything you can to better yourself, even if it means taking two wives, even if it means lying to your own family, taking advantage of your uncle. You've done everything you can to better yourself, and at this point, he's just all of a sudden realizing, I mean, I've been Jacob my whole life. And Jesus says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but your name will be Israel. Israel means just meaning one who is striving with God. One who's done business with God. This is sweet. Jesus pursues this man when he's alone, wrestles him, afflicts him. This is a God who's dangerous. This is different than a lot of the, the, the God that kind of gets exalted in, in a lot of Christianity today. Of just being nice and cute and just a fun experience. And something that just makes us feel good about ourselves. And we leave church encouraged. But what if, the God, what if the way that God wants to bless you is to afflict you, change you, make it hard on you in order for a greater good? When I, when I was reading this, it's, it's interesting. If you're thinking of C.S. Lewis and his book, Chronicle of Narnia, uh, it's interesting. In this point, Mr. Mr. Beaver okay, uh, is having a conversation with little Lucy. Okay? And little Lucy's kind of hearing about this Aslan figure, and, and she asks this good question. She says, is he safe? And in this text, he goes, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he says, he's the king, I tell you. So friends, I want you to ask yourself, what is the view of Jesus Christ that you have? Is she, is she just someone who's safe to you? Someone who's just going to make you just feel comfortable as you are? Or are you, are you worshiping the God as he is? Someone who will challenge you? afflict you, if it's his will, for a greater good. The blessing that, that J- Jacob received here was something that, it was beyond him. He received a name that came from God. This is amazing. And so through this whole thing, uh, our text in, in Hebrews, if we think back to that, our text tells us that you know, Jacob received this blessing from, from his dad, inherited this blessing. And the next two verses tell us only just about the, the way they died. So how they went out. I think it's interesting that two out of the three of the verses that I'm covering this morning are about how people ended their life. 
So, so check this out. Genesis chapter 48. Go there with me. This is kind of the, the ending of, of Jacob's life, and he's, he's getting ready to, to go out. I mean, he's, he's been, you know, had this crazy experience, but it's interesting that in Hebrews, when it talks about the mark of Jacob's faith, it's not his wrestling match. I mean, if I'm thinking if I was going to write this thing and then talk about what were the moments where, man, faith was just awesome and powerful, I would probably talk about, man, this time he wrestled all night. Or maybe you can talk about the time that he prayed and it was just powerful. And you can talk, there's many things that we would think as like, these are the successes. These are the victories. But what the writer of Hebrews wants us to see in, in, that, in those verses is this is how Jacob went out. Listen to this. Uh, this is verse 21 and 48. Therefore, uh, it says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I've given to your fathers and to your brothers on the one mountain slope that I took from the, the hand of the Amorites and my sword with, and with my bow. So this is his simple word. As he begins as his blessing, his, his sons, he goes, I'm going I'm to die, but God will be with you. That's it. That's all he really, in the end of the day, that's what he wants his sons to know. It's seen that the faith that this guy had helped him to realize that this isn't about me anymore. That I am about what God is doing. He's, he's seeing that my name is one who's done business with God. It's all of a sudden, it's not about Jacob anymore. It's about, man, I am part of what God is doing. I'm striving with God. I've wrestled with God. And what he leaves with his sons is that I'm going to die, but God's going to be with you. God's going to challenge you. God's going to work in your lives. So I love when this text is that he's, he's dying well. He's dying not, not just all, all worked up and sad. I'm leaving. It's over. I'm done. My time is up. What's going to happen? But he says it's such a confidence to know that God will continue his work. And I want us to consider our season of what we consider. I mean, we talk a lot in this church about mission, right? We talk a lot about what does it mean to be on mission. We'll talk about different ways we can get involved in the church. It's great. Talk about the men's study that's coming up. Awesome. Great ways to be on mission. But you need to ask yourself this. What is your definition of mission? Is mission just your four years that you're at Cal Poly and you're really involved with the student ministry there? Or is your mission just, man, I was involved with the children's ministry here or involved in this or that? What do you define as mission? Because there's a thing. Me and my wife, Nicole, we've served here for about, you know, three years, you know, been on staff with the students. Um, and it's, it's been awesome. It's been such a blessing for us. These, these students have just, I've, grown, I've seen them go from little junior hires running in circles around the, the gym. I'm like, I'm a babysitter. Wow, that's my ministry. And then I've seen them growing up. They're going to high school. Some have already been in high school. I'm like, gosh, they've grown so much. And I'm so blessed by this ministry. But at the same time, I've, I've, we've come with, in our own, our own walk. We, we got married this year. I own a business in town here. And there's been so much that God has put on our plate. And we've, we've really felt it's a time for the sake of our marriage to, to step out of leading the youth ministry and serve in it. And so we're excited. There's a new guy that's coming on board. We're pumped for him. But as we went through this, me and I've been praying a lot. And we're like, you know what? I really, really pray that this is not the end of our mission. This isn't the end. It's just that my role is changing. My, the way that I'm serving now 
in this church is going to change, but it's going to be good. It's going to be healthy. And I, and I believe that I will be able to be more effective with the time that I have. I'll be able to be a better servant to the students, to the, to the church here. And guys, I just want you to consider, what do you define as, as your mission? Are you looking to the end? As when the writer of Hebrews said, Jacob worshipped over his staff as he gave the blessing to his sons. He's just getting ready to go out. He's ready to die, to go to be with the Lord. And he's like, I want to die well. I want to die knowing that I was on mission, even though I sinned, and even though I messed up, and, and you know, had multiple wives. Even though I have so much baggage, Jacob's leaving saying, God will be with you. So friends, I, I want you to ask yourself, are you prepared to be, to be on mission to the end? To, to get old and gray? I mean, when I see these folks in, in, in our church, there's a few that are just, just been walking with the Lord for so long, and I'm so inspired by that. I'm so inspired. And I just want to say, you guys are a blessing. Those of you who are here are a blessing to us young folks. Because it's easy to get, get fired up and have a worship experience. It's easy to get in this mode of saying, oh my gosh, there's so much encouragement around me. There's so many Christians in this town. But what happens when you move? What happens when, you, when all of a sudden it changes? And there isn't a spotlight on your life anymore. And there isn't a thousand people to, to talk to at the end of the night about Jesus. Are you still going to be on mission then? So it's important for you to ask yourself, is my mission dependent on people or am I resting saying, if I go out, God will be with you. God will be with you. So we prepare to die well. And listen, listen how um, Joseph goes out here. The last chapter, Genesis 50. He says this. Uh, verse 22. Joseph remained in Egypt and he, he, uh, he and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children and the third generation and children uh, of Mature, the son of Manasseh, and were continued as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land, out of the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old. And they embalmed him and put him in the coffin of Egypt. So this is interesting. In the same way as Joseph went out simply saying, God will be with you. Joseph kind of pushes it a bit farther. And he says, God will visit you. And I want you to take my bones when I'm dead and gone. And I want you to put them in the, in the land we came from. The land that God gave us. What we're seeing with this dude is he is... is living in Egypt, but he's not an Egyptian. He's living in this city, but he's not a part of this city. His hope is not in the city. But he's, seeing, he's looking forward and saying, man, God is going to take me to a new land. And I, he's not saying his bones are like magical, something put my magic bones in the ground. And, no. But what he's doing is saying, I, just, I believe in God's promise so much that I believe that I don't belong here. This isn't my home. He's seen a mission that's taking him beyond this place. Guys, I firmly believe that God has placed every single one of you in this city for a reason. If this isn't the city you live in, you're visiting, great. I believe it. Now, Acts 17 says God determines the times that we come forward and the dwelling places of our habitation. He, he chose that we would live in San Luis Obispo in this time for a reason. You did not end up here on accident. It's part of God's divine purpose that you're here. Now, with that, do you believe that? 
Do you see that you have a purpose here? You have a mission in this city. Whatever your ministry looks like, I mean, whatever ministry you're a part of or or family that you are uh, there with, I mean, whatever it is, do you see yourself as God has put me here, but this is not my home? I have a mission for my time, but my, my hope is in the city whose foundations are built by God. Amen? We, we have a hope, friends, in a place that's beyond ourselves. I'm going to finish with the text here. Go with me to John chapter 12. Whoa, sorry. John chapter 12. I often ask myself, man, you know, what is God asking of me? You know, what is it, actually, what does it really look like? It's easy for us to talk a lot about these people of the Old Testament. What is it, what really happened with Jacob that made his life end well? Now, check this out. I love what, what Jesus says here. He's getting ready to die himself. And he says this to, his, uh, to the friends around him. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Guys, this is, this is sweet. What Jesus is saying right here, he's looking at the end of his time and saying, this is not even, this is not all about me. This is about something greater. This is about something growing. As he, he uses the analogy, he's saying, this is, about, this is like a seed. And if a seed remains alone and doesn't die, it's just alone. It's its own thing. If I think of Jacob in this text, Jacob, if he would have just continued to pursue his, what was right in his own eyes, continue to pursue himself, he'd be alone. Would have never met, never been a part of something bigger. He probably would have forgotten the promises of God. But what Jesus says right here, if a seed dies, you lose yourself, you die to yourself, that's when true community grows. That's when you become more. You become about something bigger than yourself, about God's kingdom. So some of you are like sitting here like, man, I'm just really wrestling with sin. I'm really wrestling with this issue and that issue. And what about this and what about that? Try this. Try not thinking of yourself. Get off yourself and consider you're part of something bigger. You're part of, part of God's kingdom. And are you ready to die well? Are you ready to end this life saying God has a promise that will continue past our time? We've got like 40 years, right? 50, six, maybe 60 for some of us. Maybe more. We don't know. Are you prepared to live that life? with purpose and mission. If it's here with our church, if it's another church, wherever it is that God put you, are you prepared to live saying that God will be with us even to our end, despite our sin, because at the end of the day, it's about Jesus Christ and what he has done to accomplish our salvation. He has pursued us as he pursued Jacob. He pursues us when we're alone. He wants you to be pursued alone, but then to be a part of something bigger, to not remain alone. So guys, I pray, as I'm going to close here, the band come on up, uh, I pray that you guys would consider that this, this, this whole thing, it's, it's the faith that we're looking at here, is something that's just not themselves. It's not something they worked hard to earn, but it's something they received to be a part of something bigger. And consider, man, how, are we ready to die well? Are we ready to die for the glory of God? So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this time that we get to get in your word, get to, get to be challenged by it. Consider, Lord, uh, if we're on your mission, God, I pray that you would just give us direction. Let us just begin with dying to ourselves and, and, and living, in, living on the rock, Christ. 
Lord, help us if we're living a fake life. Help us if we're just raising our hands because it looks cool. Help us to be legit with our walk with you, Lord, in a way that is honoring to you. Lord, I pray that you would empower us and increase the faith that you've given us. And if, Lord, we don't have faith, I ask that you give it, God. I pray that you would confront people in this room that haven't met Jesus Christ, that haven't met their Savior. And, Lord, I know it's not easy. I know this is a process. And I know that sometimes it hurts. So, Father, prepare us well and prepare us to just to strive with you and to be about your kingdom, God. We love you and we honor you uh, with this time. In Jesus' name, amen.